0: Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast, a Tuesday edition of the show. I'm Matt Premier Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's pod. Uh, we've been able to speak with Dan Lanning Monday evening to get his early thoughts on this upcoming matchup, Oregon at Texas Tech, as well as now a couple of offensive players, ironically two running backs, Bucky Irving and Jordan James. And then we've also got two defensive backs, uh, Dante Manning, who started at corner, and also Nico Reed. Um, Let's go first with injury news because while Dan Lanning said Monday night, he's not really going to discuss players who didn't play in a game uh, the previous week. Uh, He said, like, paraphrasing, you know, we'll go with the guys that we got. We're happy with the guys that we got. We're we're in a good place. Um, And then from there, we'll we'll see. On Tuesday today, we went to practice, and that's where the most notable information from an injury standpoint, I think, we learned.
1: Yeah, and I'll be honest, it's very similar to the information we had going into the Portland State game where a bunch of players suddenly didn't play because basically everybody who didn't play against Portland State that matters – practiced on Tuesday and I think if you go back and look at Tuesday's practice report the case would be pretty similar. Um, three the three players we did not spot and therefore everybody else did practice were Nishad Struther, uh, Lipe Molala and Tavita Pame. So there's three players who we did not see along with Andrew Boyle, I should note um, I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on there but you kind of wonder if he's still with the program he was not there uh, on Saturday he was obviously last year's kickoff specialist. So if with those three players being the only absences, you go, hey, Chris Hudson was there, you know, Whittington was there, we saw Casey Kelly, we saw Mace Funa, Justin Jacobs, and Evan Williams. Those were a lot of the guys that we were kind of had question marks coming out of Saturday. I don't know if we have any more answers other than to say they all look like they were pretty close to being full participants. We should note Evan Williams still had his left hand wrapped, and Justin Jacobs was in trainers as he entered practice and was wearing those while we watch but we did see him carrying cleats in i don't know how much that matters mm-hmm. or what that means exactly seems like it's probably a better a positive but yeah i don't know if there's a whole lot more and and the reason i'm not jumping for joy over all of these turned over leaves and all this information is because as i said earlier a week ago we've probably had a lot of similar information and then a lot of these guys didn't play on saturday so we'll see when we get down to tech if you are following. Any of the three of us on social media, be I think you'll want to be kind of checking in about an hour before kickoff um, when we start kind of seeing who's with the team and, and who looks like they're available. Um, because I don't know if we're going to have any more clarity than we do today. I would be very surprised if when Dan speaks on Wednesday, he shares anything more than what he said on, on Monday night. So um, this is probably the most information you're going to get this week leading in until shortly before kickoff.
2: Yep. No, that's exactly how it's going to be. Uh I guess it was encouraging to
1: see all of those
2: guys at practice, but we had seen we we saw all of them last week. So maybe it is encouraging, maybe it's not. Uh just exactly what Eric said. Um other than that practice, uh I don't know if we want to get into practice at all cuz there is sure. absolutely nothing to see, but um <laughs> like special teams were the exact same. Luke Dunn had a few good punts. Uh we'll see whoever kicks this weekend. Uh, but yeah, practice is exactly the same so there's absolutely nothing going on there
1: i did have i forgot i had one more i wanted to say which is tatum Toyote, who dressed for the game on saturday did not play we saw him mm-hmm. take part in practice for the first time since i wrote down august 11th so that was encouraging i don't think it's going to matter much i don't know if he'll travel or not um or if he's even available to play but that's like a encouraging development i guess right
0: yeah that opens the a comment that Eric of him traveling or not is this will give us a good indication of like, I don't think Oregon's allowed to take like all 119 guys that they have on its roster, but this will give us an early kind of look of players. They view the staff as being they of guys who could potentially help or play in games, whether it's certain scenarios come up or injuries come up, we're going to get a We're going to travel roster. Not I, I won't be surprised if, some guys get left behind in Eugene. They don't—not uh, literally left behind, but they—they they don't get to travel. And that'll be interesting, just to see who makes it, who who doesn't make the travel roster. Um, we talked about this ahead of practice. Like, well, if you go to DuckTerritory.com, at some point on on Saturday we'll have, or maybe it's Sunday, depending on when we get it up. But um, we'll probably post the whole travel roster, what it looks like, and you know, from each position group, but that'll give us a little bit of an insight into just where things fit from a player personnel perspective and where they fit on the depth chart. And I don't want to say who's more important than others, but at the same time, it gives you an idea of like, Hey, we have to have X number of players at this position, or they're really thin at this position. That's why our freshman's going, whatnot.
1: Yeah. And just one last thought on that. that Be- Matt brings up the right point. I don't know the the restriction number but non-conference road games i think you are allowed to bring a little bit more than conference road yeah. games so when oregon plays at stanford in three weeks time that'll give us an even better and clearer identification of like these are the guys that they feel like they have to bring because i think it goes down by i want to say 20 25 players or something like that from i think back yeah. to the georgia game last year i think they traveled basically everybody they pra- they- yeah they
2: traveled everybody
1: yeah, and then the Washington State game, I think, was the first road game. And I remember we were like, oh, man, where's Byron Cardwell? Where's this guy? Where's that guy? And certain mm-hmm. players who didn't make that trip um, turned out to be pretty notable. So, yeah, this is kind of where we are. This is kind of a no-man's land, and and uh, we'll, we'll figure out on Saturday who made the trip, and there might be players who don't make the trip, and we won't have any more clarity for why other than that they weren't there because Dan is yeah. not talking about players who are absent. So it's kind of the situation
0: we're at. Going into this one, uh, Oregon is going to be the highest ranked non-conference opponent that the Red Raiders have ever hosted since 1994 when then number one Nebraska came to town. Hmm. Um, so this is going to be probably their biggest game since then from a non-con perspective. Uh, there will probably be bigger games when Oregon, when Texas Tech played and Oklahoma in the Big 12 or something of that nature or Texas maybe. Um, but this should game this game should be one of the more higher profile matchups that they've had uh it's sold out it's been sold out for a while uh, apparently they've got like a 25 or a 27 game win streak in home openers that that's on the line yep uh, and dan Landing, like he didn't like come out and challenge Texas Tech but i think Eric, you asked him the question of like just kind of like how do you prepare for this environment and He was all like excited about that this is going to be a hostile place and it should be raucous and it should be sold out and everyone should be, as he said, amped up, which is my read of there's probably going to be a lot of alcohol consumed before this game is kicked off by the fan bases.
1: Oh, I I don't think there's any question about it. Um, And, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I I think you expect this atmosphere to be – Really, really a, a difference maker, um, and and that, I think if you're Oregon, your goal is to make it not a difference maker sooner than later, right? Try to get some points, try to build a lead, try to quiet that crowd. The longer you keep them in this game, or the longer um, the crowd still has something to cheer for, the longer they become and continue to be um, a problem for you. And I I've not been at this venue. I've only heard really positive things. We're going to have um, Jarrett Johnson from inside the InsideTheRedRaiders.com, our 24/7 sports affiliate, on I think on Wednesday. Matt, is that right? um he'll be on wednesday show yes. uh so we will get a little bit more of a feel for the atmosphere down there and, and everything but yeah i thought that stood out dan really like that was one of the first things he talked about when he sat down in his opening statements on monday night was respect for the opposition but also a lot of respect for the the environment that oregon is entering on saturday
2: and he should it's a uh, texas football you know it's it's a different stadium than it is to go to austin or maybe to oklahoma Um, but just because like the size perspective of it, but it's going to be a very similar venue to what Ottson stadium is. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Texas tech stadium holds 60,000. So just a couple more thousand than what Ottson can hold. Um, You know, a lot of people across the country will say, Oh, it's for, for Ottson. They say it's 57,000. How loud can it could be? And then they get here and it is loud. It's one of the louder ones in the country. It's going to be the same perspective at texas tech it's going to be a smaller stadium it's going to be more confined it's going to be like when oregon went to washington state last year and that place only holds 40 but it doesn't feel like it yeah Um, it's going to be a ruckus crowd and that's fine that's what dan was saying like this is why they play the game this is why he wants to coach oregon football this is why he recruits kids who uh he knows that can play in this type of environment um Oregon played in this type of environment multiple times last year. I guess probably the most hectic could, was that Washington State one. That was a pretty good one. Uh, Georgia was a little bit less because it was you know, 80-20, but there's a lot of people in there. Um, this is not something new for somebody like Bo Nix, who's been in the SEC and been in much more hostile crowds. Um, this is not something new for even like Bucky Irving, who at Minnesota played at Ohio State. Like, this is going to be a tough environment, don't get me wrong, but um, Oregon's here to play up to it. Uh, Oregon's there. They brought in all these guys to to play in this environment and to come out with a victory. Um, this is always why we play the games, because you never know what's going to happen. But um, there's, I, I'm not surprised at all that Dan was like, all right, come on, bring it on. Let's do it, Like because that, that's why he's here. That's why he brought his guys here.
0: Yeah, it would be a big concern if this team kind of melts – under the, the pressure of a loud stadium because they're going to play in bigger games, not necessarily bigger stadiums. They will, but bigger games than this one. And if the pressure of this game gets them, then that will be a bad sign for things to come because they got to go to Utah. They got to go to Washington and mm-hmm. they could potentially be playing in the twelve championship game against One Uh-oh. of those two school yeah. fan base there as well, so I, yeah, like I'm with Jared. Like it'd be a big concern if this team is not prepared for the the noise, the hostile environment. And we should note today at practice, you asked Eric also of like how, how you prepare for the heat and whatnot. Dan didn't have the team in, in parkas as he said on on Monday night, but well, we, a it. we can confirm that. We can confirm
1: on Tuesday they were not in parkas on Tuesday.
0: <laughs> yes. All right, um, Tyler Shuck, former Oregon quarterback. Um, Dan called him a winner. Um, said he's a better runner than maybe people give him uh, credit for. Uh, we also got with 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 Dante Manning today, and he he gave a. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but interesting comment about how like he he was asked about. Hey, like you've played with him. What do you remember him? And he gave a bunch of different things and then said, like, I remember how like he holds likes to hold the ball for a long time before throwing, or something of that nature, which it was his knock when he was at Oregon. He took a long time to throw the football. Um, nonetheless, this is a guy that Dan seemed to have a lot of confidence in, a guy that you know he was very high on. And it's it's gonna be interesting to see him play against Oregon. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how Oregon defends the Texas Tech offense, which the DBs talked about it. Dan Lanning talked about just the, the the offense and how they spread out. The receivers that they have are all pretty good. They've got some serious size on the outside. They've got a six-foot-nine tight end. Uh, this should be a really the true first test that we see for this Oregon defense. I think what Tyler
1: is, and this dates back to when he was Oregon, when he's comfortable and confident and gets into a rhythm, he can be a very capable quarterback and lead offenses. Like, Think about the way he started at Oregon, those first three games um, in 2020, uh, the type of performances you saw. I think everybody felt pretty darn good coming out of those first couple of games. I remember against Washington State, they got far behind and then they had a pretty miraculous rally to, to take control mm-hmm. and, and never looked back. And, so he felt through three games really good. And then the wheels kind of fell off. And his play really was was kind of in line with the team's lack of success. He started to struggle. He started to kind of doubt himself. And, you know, they started to insert Anthony Brown in the, into some kind of series against in the Pac-12 championship game. And then in the bowl game against Iowa State, there was almost like a full split there. And it just kind of snowballed from there. But that's carried over to his time at Texas Tech. A, he's not been healthy all that often. I think he played in – only 11 games his first two years at Tech. And that's, I think, exclusively due to the injury. Um, But when he has played, to Matt's point and to to Dan's point, they've been very successful. Before last weekend's loss to Wyoming, they were 8-3 and in games that he had appeared in during his time there. You look back last year, they finished the regular season beating Oklahoma in double overtime. He threw for like 436 yards or something like that, which was a career high um, you know, led them to, to to some some late points there to ensure the victory. He's had moments. He's shown he can lead Texas Tech to big wins. It's just mixed in there is a bunch of injuries and then some games where he doesn't play very well. And he kind of that was I think mm-hmm. an example against Wyoming where, yeah, he threw for 338 yards and I think three touchdowns. But there's some pretty iffy sequences there from Tyler. And I'm again I'm curious to hear what Jared will Jared will say um from the Texas tech site later this week about kind of the perception of, of shutdown and Lubbock, but he's a player that is certainly capable of leading an offense that could beat a team like Oregon, but he's also a player that has shown that if he gets rattled and, and doesn't have his confidence and just kind of gets out of rhythm, that he's a player that can kind of implode a little bit. And I really liked Tyler when he was here, I thought he handled himself really, really well off the field. And I still was really impressed after that fiesta bowl where he gets pulled and they lose, and it's not a very competitive game. He doesn't play very well that, he made himself available afterwards to come out and take responsibility for everything. And shortly after that, he ends up hitting the portal. So I have a lot of respect for him and I think he's capable of playing at a really high level, but that's the big question going into this week for me is just what kind of a quarterback does tech have down there? And, and will Tyler play at his best? Cause if he does, I think this game can be very competitive.
2: Yeah. That's what tech has been wondering for years now is what kind of quarterback is Tyler Shuck? Because like Eric ran through, uh, he had played well in moments. Uh, he gets hurt uh, a, a decent bit. I mean, he's had two basic uh, season-ending injuries in back-to-back years, where he either a missed the rest of the season or missed a significant portion of the season. Um, and so that never hurt, never helps in development. Um, he comes in there, and then you know, last week against Wyoming, like Eric ran through, he had moments. Uh, if you watch that game from the second half on. Um, you'd probably wonder if, if Tyler Shuck is any good, but and you know the first quarter where they put up 17 points and he's commanding the offense. It's a run and gun, yeah. not a run and shoot, air aid offense with its short passes. They're trying to get six, seven yards a pop. Um, he can do a very good job on that. It's when a defense begins to clamp down and forces him into third and long or third and you know, third and very long, just situations where a, a team must throw the ball is opportunities for a defense to do well against him um i think that his wide receiver core which we can get into in just a second is good i think they're talented but um they're not the greatest group in the country i think they can be covered i think that uh they have opportunities but they're not a big deep ball ball team uh, and I think Shuck throws a really good deep ball. Um, they can be at points. They like to, you know, obviously it's an air raid. So they're going to try to go short and then beat you long when you're thinking it's going to be short. Um, but I kind of like how Oregon's defense matches up in this case. I like the personnel that Oregon has in terms of these short yardage situations where you don't have to cover somebody one on one because I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet because they certainly weren't challenged by Portland State about that. Um, but I think Oregon's defense can get their hands on some balls and and dan lanning talked about this last night where you know they're going to emphasize putting their hands up as a defensive lineman and trying to swat these balls away at the line of scrimmage because that was something that wyoming was able to do they had four batted balls last week um i think james crepio the oregonian asked the question he said that joey mcguire had he said that there were two that were probably unshuck and two that just kind of happened um, if you're Oregon and you have guys like Casey Rogers, who are 6'5", Jordan Burch, who's 6'6", Brandon Dorlis, who's 6'3", like you have guys who are long-limbed and athletic, like that's a that's an opportunity to help maybe help get yourself off the field, maybe force Texas Tech in the third and long situations instead of like a, a third and four, third and six. Um, I think there's opportunities for Oregon's defense to take advantage of what Shuck isn't good at, um, but I think it's about not letting them get, in, get into a rhythm early in the game because like he was in Wyoming, he got into a rhythm early. I know they got out of it, but with the home environment, with the crowd behind him, if he gets into a rhythm really early in the game, that could help them either stay in the game, take the lead and take the win potentially.
0: Now around Shuck, there's a lot of talent. I think it starts though. Um, Eric, if you, Eric wrote a story, know your foe, five names to know. Three of them are on offense. One is Shuck. I think if we're not gonna talk about Shuck, the next guy is probably receiver Um Jerand. Is that how we say it? There's there's, there's an interesting name. Um Jerand Bradley, a six foot five sophomore who as you called it, Eric, maybe the most physical receiver Oregon will see all, all, all year, which is saying something because the league in the Pac 12 is loaded with really good receivers. He's just a
1: really unique player at 6'5-220 who can who can run as well. And he did have some success down the field last year. He was one of the more productive receivers in the Big 12, I think, wrote right in the story. He was like seventh in the conference in receiving yards and fourth in touchdowns. He's a good player, and he's a he's a guy who's going to cause matchup problems just with his size on the outside. We did talk a little bit with Dante Manning about that. He says you rely on your technique, you rely on your positioning, and in Dante's case, he didn't say this, you rely on your length. I know Dante's only five foot eleven, but he's got his arms. You can see, see it today, standing there while he's being interviewed, like he can almost scratch his knees with his arms. He's one of those guys who's just, I think he said last year, close to a seven foot wingspan. So Oregon has size on the outside with him, with Kyrie, with Triquez. I wonder if we'll see maybe a little bit more Triquez in this situation because it's not just Bradley on the outside. This name, by the way, is way more hard to pronounce. Um, Luke Fongi, and it's L-O-I-C and then F-O-U-O-N-J-I. Um, he's 6'4". He's a senior. He's another jump ball guy on the outside. So they've got two guys like that that are, that are problems on the outside. And it'll be, I think, a challenge for sure against a secondary which is has had trouble in the past with some players sort of similar to this but from a personnel perspective at least you've got players of similar size out there and it'll be a matter of how they can kind of match up another thing dan talked about at receiver was um just the kind of creativity they have offensively and how they utilize them talked Mm -hmm. a lot about he said that they were the most um or they utilized bunch and uh you know group sets over on the outside more than any team In the country last season talked about the difficulty of when they're stacked or in a bunch that like that of knowing where each player is going to go and being able to have the right communication and how sometimes you get a a situation where hey if the guys aren't communicating well and two players take a guy that leaves one guy open those are the type of issues that texas tech tries to present Um, i don't know much of anything about this six foot nine tight end that james was talking about um i need to do my tight end research Um, neither do i I, 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 uh, I can
0: tell you that he wears three X size gloves per the game notes. Wow. It's in, it, Very it's cool. in the game notes. He was, uh, he he played 412 offensive snaps last season, according to PFF. And that's the most among all tight ends that they had. And the key thing is he missed three games last year. So mm. it feels like, well, maybe he's not the receiver. Threat that some that you would naturally think it feels like right. he's always just on the field for various other reasons. Yeah. And I know they
1: added um, a tight end who from over from AM a couple of years ago, who was like yep. the, the number one ranked tight end recruit in the country in like 2018. Um, he was, he's the most highly rated recruit. That's another story you could check out on duckterritory.com on the, the Know the Foe series. I did one looking at the top rated recruits. So they've got some talent there. I should note they also have some
0: talent in the slot. Um, yeah, I'm happy you brought him up because there's a connection with Oregon. Oregon offered this guy; they wanted him coming out of the portal. There's two guys. First, I was going to bring up Miles Price,
1: who has had over 500 yards receiving in 21 and 22, um, and then the other one is Dre McRae, which is the player that Matt was referencing, who Oregon was was hot on his heels for a while out of Austin Pay or Austin P. He had a mm-hmm. big season a year ago, really dynamic. So they've got a great receiving core. I, where does it? Where would it stack up in totality against the teams Oregon to play this year? Well, it's certainly not better than USC or Washington, uh, but it's possible they're kind of in that conversation. I'm I'm trying to think here if there's another offense that has comparable receivers, and I don't. Oregon would be the other one, right? I, so maybe it's going to be the third best group of receivers Oregon will face all year. And honestly, like if you want to look at it as what does it prepare you for, it could be a game that does prepare you for the types of offenses and the types of talent out wide that you'll see in the big games to end the season for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else offensively that that I had.
2: I was, I mean, watching the game against Wyoming. It was clear that Texas Tech is a. They're probably not going to try to run the ball and beads because they can't really run the ball. Um, I thought it was interesting that that Chuck had, I think, thirteen or fourteen carries against Wyoming. Um, they run him a little bit more than I had anticipated. Uh, some of that's, you know, the scramble and maybe a scramble by design, but um, there were a decent amount of of. Design run plays, especially during that fourth quarter where they were trying to come back in the game. Um, so I think that's something that Texas Tech is going to play to their full advantage because Oregon's going to be focused on all the guys we just ran through because that's a good unit. Um, that's going to be a lot of guys who can get open, especially in an air raid offense. We've all seen it with Washington State and, and Mike Leach beforehand. Um, but Chuck was a good runner. Uh, I don't remember how many yards he had during the game, but. Um, He had some critical second and third down conversions in that fourth quarter as they were trying to get into field goal range to tie it and send it to overtime. Um, So I was a bit surprised by that. And I think that's certainly going to be an element of tech's offense that comes into fruition on Saturday. Um, As for the receivers, uh, I, I think it's just going to be a fun matchup. I think, you know, we talked about this before Portland state. We talked about this after Portland state, like this is going to be the game that, really gives us an idea if Oregon's pass defense has improved from a season ago. Um, it's not a great offensive line for Texas Tech, but the the nice thing is for them is they're going to look to get the ball out early. So how yeah. good is Oregon's rush going to be? How good is their pass defense going to look? Um, especially against these receivers and tight ends, uh, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, after Portland state, like there's, Nothing to really go on for Oregon's past defense. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they look like because then we'll have a good idea and see if they can match up to the Washingtons and the USCs and the Oregon States of the world.
1: I I did did have a, sorry, I just was going to say one more thing on the run game. Um, Mm -hmm. In the opener, 17 carries between running backs for 59 yards. So not a productive day. Last year, I was surprised. I actually looked at it. They threw it on 52% of downs, but that also means they ran it on 48, which is closer to a 50-50 split than I had thought um, mm-hmm. it would be.
0: Um, did I freeze? Yes. Okay. No, you no, just stopped. stopped. You're back. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, defensively, it looks like everything starts with, uh, Josiah Pierre their will linebacker, um, had what, like 14 tackles against Wyoming in week one. Now, some of that maybe could be because of a double OT, but nonetheless, 14 is still 14 and that's still pretty darn impressive. Um, they run a three, three, five defense, mm-hmm. Tim DeRuder, former Oregon defensive coordinator is their defensive coordinator. Kind of similar to what Oregon ran with him here, a little bit different. But that's what Dan Lanning talked about on Monday night was that, hey, yeah, like I'm sure there's things that they did at Oregon that he's now doing at Texas Tech. But then he also pointed out that he's seen things on film that they didn't do at all at Oregon under Tim DeRuda that they're now doing at Texas Tech. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how Oregon faces off against this defense, a 3-3 Five is unique. It's different. We've seen teams previously. Um, the one that most notably comes to mind is just Washington state that runs a funky defense and it gives previous Oregon teams under different coaching staffs. Nonetheless, so that's, you have to factor that in fits. It's just a unique, different defense in the first couple of series can always be interesting.
1: I mean, Oregon plays out of a three, three, five, a decent amount. So there's some familiarity. Um, I'll be curious to see like, how different this looks to when Derrida was here. Because it was funny because when Dan was talking about all the exotic blitz, blitz packages and how creative they got, I was like, oh, that does sound different than when Derrida was here.
2: Yeah, than doing that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to say. Um, the player that really stood out when I was doing the kind of a run through was their cornerback, Malik Dunlap, who's the only returning all Big 12 player. He's a six foot three, 220 pound corner. So that's a very large player hard. to play at that position. Yeah. Uh, he's a sixth-year senior transfer from NC State, so veteran guy. But that's just a that's just a very large human being on the outside operating. I will be curious to see if he draws Troy Franklin, if he has the athleticism to stay with him, um, or and just in general, who's guarding Troy Franklin is going to be something I think we talk a lot about this year going into matchups. Um, they also start a true freshman at safety, uh, Brendan Johnson. So that'll be interesting to see how he holds up just because freshmen playing out in the field that early on in their career against high-end, high-end offenses can sometimes Mm -hmm. cause some problems. Um, They do not, from what I've seen, have the, in terms of like what challenges they're going to put on Oregon's offensive line. I don't know if they're going to, at least, at least in the opener, they weren't really, didn't really inspire a lot of confidence that they can get home very frequently. They had two sacks. They also had several hurries, but um, I'll be curious to see that part because a year ago, Bo was very, very rarely impacted at all by any defenses. Is Texas Tech mm-hmm. one of the teams that can change that? Probably a little skeptical, even with a, an offensive line that looks a lot different than it did a year ago.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical of that as well. Um, they uh, coach McGuire was <laughs> had uh, some interesting quotes about their rush lines after the game. He was called them horrific. He was rather disappointed in his defensive line. So. Um, I would expect them to play a lot harder, and not that they're not that they weren't playing harder against Wyoming, right. but like come out with your hair on fire, home crowd, all that type of stuff. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they got to the quarterback early in the game. But you know, the nice thing for Oregon is, at least in what I think, is that you know they didn't show a lot in their offense. Yeah, um, you know, they, they. I think I talked about this either yesterday or or on Saturday after the game. Like, Bo didn't run at all. Um, they didn't do any design runs. He didn't scramble. like We're going to see Bo Nix as we saw him last year when he was healthy, uh, the ability to scramble and get out of sack situations and make plays down the field against a secondary who wasn't really tested against Wyoming. Um, there were moments, but it was not the same as what an Oregon offense should be able to do and against this Tech defense. Um, uh, Texas Tech is also without their... I think second or third string linebacker, Jacob Rodriguez. Um, he, he played the third most amount of snaps for a middle linebacker uh, against Wyoming. He's out for like four to six weeks, but he plays more of an outside linebacker role, um, which could lead to uh, our friend Terrell Tillman, former Oregon Duck, uh, getting some snaps against his old team. Um, I wanted to get to like the base, the three three five base. It's going to be very advantageous for Oregon in the running game. If sure. um, there's only three down linemen and depending on the size of their outside linebackers who are playing one of the three in the threes, um, that could be it Could be a day where Oregon could run the ball quite quite frequently because I think Oregon's offensive line, I know they're replacing a bunch of guys. I think that's a good unit. I think they're going to be able to, to play with the best of them this year in the Pac-12. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Tim DeRuiter does. I mean, Oregon could just, uh, you know, a thousand cuts like with a bunch of slants all day long. Um, that seemed to have worked in a uh, Tim DeRuiter's tenure here at Oregon. So maybe that happens this time around as well. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm excited to see what Oregon's offense looks like a real against a real defense, because this is going to be a true test. Um, and, and again, not to keep, uh, keep being mean to Portland state here, but that was not a real team. The Texas is going to be Lanning much more opponent. It. Yeah. They just you know, feel bad for the program. They tried. They got six hundred fifty thousand dollars to come down and get their their butts kicked, and uh, that's exactly what happened.
0: And to clarify, like Dan wasn't being like he wasn't poking fun at Portland State. He said they'll probably be good at the FCS level, but they're not an FBS team, and they're not of our caliber. And it wasn't a good test for us, or it wasn't a good yeah. matchup.
2: Apparently. Wasn't a challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wanna, I don't want to make it seem like Dan was just like being outrageously, you know, cocky, but he was also factually correct in his statement. He and he did it in a very good way. But yeah, I, I agree. Like, we'll learn a lot more about this one. Dan himself has said that, and mm-hmm. um, the, the cuts and slants that you'd mentioned, Jared. Uh, that's a good point. We might see a quick pass game with Oregon this game. Um, we'll we'll certainly have to talk more with Jarrett. Um, about that, and and just get his feel for the matchups between the Red Raiders and the Ducks, offensively and defensively. And uh, I'm I'm excited to get down there, uh, especially yeah. now that we we hope pray that our credentials are going to be approved. Um, yeah. that, that we should be there. Uh, it was it was funny today. We 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 learned that no one in the Oregon media had submitted credentials, um, and we were well, all we never operating got- under like <laughs> a four-hour timeline.
1: We we never yeah we never received the link and then we were told oh yeah you have like three hours to get this to him okay we did right. so hopefully we're fun. there
0: I mean we've all got hopefully we can get into the stadium uh, we be should nice. be able to get in uh, one way or the other but uh, yeah uh, we've, we've this is gonna do it for us on this edition of the odds and novels podcast well tomorrow we'll we'll dive in deep with our Texas Tech site to today we'll have our show where we'll predict the the, the outcome give some other predictions. We'll update the tracker for who did well. I know Jared did very well uh, against Portland State. And then next time after that, you'll hear from us. is late Saturday night uh, from Red Raiders, uh, their their stadium after that game is over, win or lose. Uh, So that's what you got looking forward to uh, this week on the podcast. And if you're listening Tuesday, and it's not midnight on Tuesday, uh, September 5th, you can get advantage of that. You can get advantage. You can take advantage of that 50% off uh, promo that we're running right now for an annual subscription. The last few hours of that are going on right now. Uh, it's going to do it for us, though, here on and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.
1: Peace.